0: Good evening everyone. Welcome into the Friday night edition of the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm Matt DeMarinas. She's Megan Epperson. We are your hosts. And for the final time this season, we will be talking some Jays volleyball. Uh, we're going to put a bow on the year and talk about Creighton's uh, five-set loss to Louisville in the Sweet 16 yesterday morning. I believe that's probably ended yesterday afternoon, technically. Yeah. Uh, it was a long day of volleyball, so I'm not really sure what day it is right now. I think it's mm-hmm. Friday. So don't hold me to it. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about the match. I know y'all are dying to hear our takes on uh the match itself, some officiating reviews and stuff like that. I know you guys have been um blowing me up anyway about it. I don't know if Megan about it. Okay. Hopefully not. Um so yeah, there's a lot to talk about about that match, certainly. And then we'll kind of just look back on the season uh, talk about some individual players and how they performed and what their trajectories are if they're coming back we'll talk about Keana Schmidt's career since it's coming to an end or it has come to an end I should say um, pretty unique career but I think a very highly decorated one actually might we'll see what you how you feel about our takes on on her career when we when we lob them up tonight. Um, and yeah, whatever comes to our mind, we'll be sure to empty the tank tonight for the last time this season before we come back at you again next fall. So without further ado, Megan, how's uh how's the Louisville match sitting with you? I guess what are we now thirty six hours whole later, maybe? Maybe not quite that many, thirty something hours later. Yeah, How, what's, what's still what's still on your what's still on your mind from that?
1: Um, I mean, I just think overall, a really competitive match. And obviously, it's heartbreaking when you lose at this point in the season at any point, right. But I mean, to make the Sweet 16s a really cool experience. And then I mean, to feel like you played pretty well. I mean, it was an even match, I think, you know, until kind of the fifth set midway, Louisville kind of ran away with it. So you know, looking back at that as a player, I think obviously you're disappointed. But um you know it's just a two-point swing really at this time of the year there's so many sets decided by just really minimal minimal margins and I thought Creighton came out and maybe didn't play their best to start off and obviously picked it up in that second set and we saw some great volleyball at times sometimes it fell off but that's just that's the game right I think you play really well at points in the in the game, try to figure out how to get runs on teams and respond, adjust all those things. So I just thought it was a really entertaining match, um, and really competitive on both sides.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you feel about this in terms of like a, a you know, a mantra, but you know, you always hear basketball players talk about basketball as a game of runs, and I kind of feel like when you have NCAA tournament volleyball, especially, or even in the regular season, when you have two teams that are really evenly matched both tactically and physically that it's volleyball also is a game of runs. Like some teams will kind of get, grab momentum, get into a rhythm, be in a good rotation. That's advantageous to them from a matchup standpoint. And they'll be able to look like they're on top for a little bit. And then once that other team kind of sides out, gets out of it, or just kind of settles back in, they go on a run and like punches back. And it's like somebody volleyball has a lot of ebb and flow to that you know, to the same degree. Is that kind of what you feel as a former player and, um, Someone who's been in the game kind of your whole life. And that's what kind of Creighton Louisville looked like yesterday it was just kind of back and forth, punch for punch.
1: For sure. And I think, I mean, there's not many sports really that are just structured in the way of like, obviously the sets. So the first set, Creighton doesn't play well. The second set, they absolutely dominate and Louisville's like, everything's going wrong for them at that point. Right. And then they come out and they're like new game and then they come and punch back. So I just think because of the way it's structured It allows you to kind of, I mean, not just give up sets, but at one point you're like, okay, we're down like nine to 20. What, you know, what are the odds that we're coming back in those sorts of situations? And, but then when a new set starts, it's zero, zero in your mind and you can go and win that one and, you know, stack a couple together and ultimately win the match. So from that standpoint, yeah, it is just so up and down and momentum can leave you at any time. And I also think you can pick up some momentum at any time by making two or three really great plays and kind of string them together so it's just an interesting emotional game too I think you kind of ride the emotional high of like things are going really well it's exciting big blocks um you know big kills things like that and then also things can sort of permeate of like we shanked a pass and serve receive and now every single ball we're serve receiving is a little bit farther off the net or so it's just those sorts of things that I think um Trends sort of permeate your team of like offense is going really well and we're gonna have a great offensive night or man we're struggling behind the service line so it's just weird how things can kind of spread and trends can spread throughout even sets amongst your own players.
0: For sure, I mean the 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 way this match started was a little bit odd, right? Because I don't know if I don't know if either team felt like their a game was being put up in set one, but I think it, the reason that Louisville probably had an edge was you know charity looper was terminating at a really high rate and I think. You know, when, when we were kind of previewing this match, obviously Anna De Beer was number one on the scouting report. And then we kind of went to the size of their middles, right, and wondered how Creighton would match up there. And then we also talked about, you know, Elena Scott and how Creighton kind of needs to be able to count for her defensively and make sure they're not, you know, just letting her get that first ball up and let Louisville be in system a, a whole bunch. And then all of a sudden, like set two starts in Louisville, you know, gets a couple in-system kills with their middles. And, you know, Charity Looper gets another kill, and they kind of get off to a 7-4 lead. Like, they feel like it's it looks like a kind of a continuation of set one to a degree. And then it just switches. Like, like on a dime, Creighton just starts serving them off the floor, staying in system, putting balls on the net for Kendra. She was making great reads and, you know, distributing the ball and confusing Louisville's block and just completely wiped out Louisville in that second set after dropping – the first one and starting set two in a hole, what did you see that Trayton did that allowed them to flip that switch to that degree?
1: Yeah, I think you kind of hit it just being aggressive. And I think it started at the service line of, okay, we're going to go back and we put over decent serves in the first set, but I didn't feel like, you know, they did anything special, get them really out of system. And so it was pretty easy, just routine. Like, yep, we're in system. We can sort of run our offense for Louisville. And that second set, I think you saw them go back there and really hone in on, I'm going to hit seams or I'm going to move players around or I'm going to go at a player. Oh, they shanked a ball or didn't have a great pass. I'm going to go at them again. And so you just kind of saw the aggression almost and just competitiveness start from the service line. And then it just continued on once you got them out of system. Then they were able to run what they wanted and that dig transition and just terminate at a really high level. And they were playing really fun clean volleyball you know I just thought things were going really well because they were in system taking care of the ball and able to get a lot of their offensive options involved at that point
0: yeah you know I think I'm, I was really impressed with kind of Creighton's resolve in this in this match you know the whole the whole you know mindset this week every time you know whenever we talk to the players or coaches we you know obviously Louisville's like been uh, an elite elite program like you know, upper tier, last tier, top four, top five. They made a final four two years ago. They were in the national championship last season. Um, So, you know, it felt like Creighton was going in as the underdog and you kind of wonder, like, what's your mindset going into that? Are you intimidated? Are you aggressive? Are you just chomping at the bit to get the opportunity? Do you feel confident you can beat this team? And the whole, the whole, you know, the, the thing they kept repeating over and over again, which I found interesting, just because it hasn't really been something they've said a whole lot this year. So I was curious how it would play out. And it was just like, we're just going to go out there. uh, We're going to have a good game plan and we're just going to do us like we're going to be who we are. We're going to play to our identity, play to our strengths and like we're going to derive our confidence from that. And if that's good enough to win, that's good enough to win. If it's not, then we'll live with that. And that's what I think I saw in Creighton in this match, because They weren't always perfect, which is kind of how the season has gone, right? And so they had to deal with some adversity, and they had to show how tough they were. And then they always dug out. They never laid down for Louisville. Like, Louisville laid down in set two. There was not a set in this match where Creighton laid down and just let Louisville dictate and stopped fighting. Like, even when Louisville got a big lead in set five, when it looked like it was a foregone conclusion, like, Creighton comes back with a couple kills you know, kind of like gets their confidence back again. Like you can see that they're going to fight to the end, even though it looks like it's a impossible hill hurdle that they can climb. Right. And I think that's what, you know, set two looked like. That's what set three looked like to me. And certainly set four, like they were in holes. They had to dig out of those holes. You know, they ended up winning two. They grind to the end in three. They win four. I just was really impressed with Creighton's resolve. And I think it, it showed that their personality this year the dominant trait of their DNA was that they were kind of built to overcome odds, whether it was injuries, whether it was in match deficits, you know, we saw them overcome huge deficits early in the season against ball state LSU, um, you know, and I just felt like they just built that into their DNA and we saw that on display against one of the best teams in the country, you know, yesterday, whereas like Louisville probably felt pretty good about where the way they were playing early in sets, but Creighton never went away.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I feel like that's sort of an identity that Creighton teams have taken on the last several years, especially. I think some teams I played on also kind of had that, like, I won't give up attitude no matter what the score is, but this team definitely personified that um, towards the end of season. And um, cool to look back. I think, I mean, the beginning of the season, we talked a lot about, can they finish sets? Can they finish matches? Yeah. And how mm-hmm. are they going to respond when it's like 2020 and um what's kind of their approach in that standpoint and we saw them get down in games and fight back and sort of get that like extra pep in your step at that point of like we have to go the urgency of we have to score points and um you know they did a great job at the end of the game of trying to even gather some momentum when it's maybe a little bit too far out of reach so um, it's just a it's a great trait to have because I mean if if you don't try, it's like you never know, right? You could go on an eight point run. You know they did those sorts of things in this match. Um, at times, so you just never know, and I I think that's just something that Kirsten too kind of instills just in the team of like we're not ever gonna give up. We're never just gonna concede a set just to give up and give a team a set against us. We want to win this set, and um, one of the biggest things too with that mindset is even if we're down big and it's set two, three, four, right, can we get momentum to carry us forward if we have to go into extra sets? Can we kind of get some swagger back and some confidence back to carry us through the end of the match?
0: Yeah. Set three for me is kind of, I felt like that's where the, I don't know if I want, I want to say like that's where the match was decided, but I felt like that was where, if we're going to talk about any of the uh, overturns. I feel like set three's overturn was more impactful in terms of the ripple effect it had than set five. Like, um, you know, set five. You know, obviously it was on rally nine. Like Creighton got a kill to make it five four, and like they had started to build back into that set after a slow start, right? Like, um, so that's a big point. I I don't disagree with that. I just think I I just have a hard time in hindsight looking at the way Louisville and Creighton both played in set five and then going back to, you know, a ball that was in or out having a difference. Like, I feel like that didn't change the result of that set. I do feel like set three's overturn, which was, you know, a swing through Ava Martin's block that got reviewed for, uh, you know, I think a long enough time to make me think that there was some doubt with the r2 about what they were seeing and almost like you went to the review table to look for something that wasn't there and you know when it, when the review takes that long i feel like it's not definitive so for you to overturn it and take that long to overturn it i'm, I'm that's where it becomes questionable for me and the fact that it happened at 22 21 and you're talking about a difference of louisville going up 23 21 or creighton being tied at 22 that to me is huge because you're at the you're at end game now. Not just at end game, but you're at like approaching set point end game, you know? Yeah. And then with the benefit of hindsight, obviously that call gets overturned. Louisville goes up 23-21, And then what does Creighton do? Ava, Martin, nor assist, boom, boom, kill. Like to tie it back up at twenty-three. So you're talking about a difference now of what you've affected in terms of scoring. If you tie it at twenty-two, now those two kills by Martin and Sis go Turn into set point Creighton as opposed to tied at 23. And who knows if it even goes to five that point. So that's what I'm that's why set three, the call at the end of set three to me is more impactful on this match and potentially on the result of it than the one in, you know, early in set five. How do you um how do you feel either way about that analysis, I guess? Like which which call do you feel like was more impactful on the result?
1: I'd say set 3. I mean, just because of where you're at in the game, I think. I mean, in How the moment um yeah, like the yeah. momentum like you talked about just yeah. sort of like the frustration and also just the break of time of like sure. standing there and waiting and wondering and then just being I don't know, surprised. At least I mean, I didn't think there was enough to overturn it. It should have been inconclusive. Mm-hmm. Um but obviously, I don't know. I don't get paid to ref, but it just seemed a little bit crazy to me. Um, yeah. but I don't know. It's it's just think... too bad, like that. A at a point in the game like that, that you'd make a call that you're not a hundred percent sure about. You know,
0: because that's what it. I feel like that's what it came down to. That's what I mean. Like, just for full disclosure, so people understand. Obviously, there was, to my eye, there wasn't anything on the broadcast that was shown in terms of replays and angles that looked anything remotely like a touch or a a ball changing trajectory, which is another thing you look for, right? If you can't see the touch, you look at the ball and see if it changes trajectory at at the moment of impact. And that's kind of your clue that someone else touched that ball besides the hitter. Right. So none of the replays they showed on the broadcast indicated anything that showed that there should be an overturn there. I will say that, This is for a fact that the R2 gets more angles than the broadcast does. So I don't know how many there were, how many different ones there were, or which one ended up being the one that allowed them to change the call. I just know the first clue for me that that was problematic was how long it took Mm -hmm. to change the call. You know what I mean? Because I feel like if you're looking at something definitive, it doesn't take that long. And if you're look, it's almost like you're looking for confirmation in your own mind that there was a touch, and you're just looking for any little, you know, microbe of proof, right? When you're yeah, looking at that review, so sure. I just, yeah, it, that's a tough overturn. And I think honestly, it goes back to the point we just talked about before. was that Creighton's resolve, like they didn't, they didn't like sink or sulk or, you know, give up after that. They fought back to even again at twenty three twenty three. And then Anna DeBeer made two great plays. That's what the ACC player of the year. She is the ACC player of the year for a reason. Got a kill, got an ace, finished that set, put Louisville up two to one. But that was a big, big call in my opinion and might have changed um, the result of that set, which then puts one of the two teams in a two-one hole. In this case, it was Creighton. So they had to fight back in four to push it to five. And yeah, I mean, we just know how it turned out. But I felt like three – if a lot of people were upset about the call in set five because that's when the end of the match was occurring, right? Set three is the one that I feel like was more impactful because of just all the things that it affected at endgame, right? And the and the fact that it was a tiebreak set, um, that's a bigger call in my opinion, especially when you look at the amount of proof or lack thereof that we had to change a call on the floor. Um, tough. That's a tough one for the Jays to swallow on that one. Um, especially <laughs> because... Fan base is already kind of still not quite over that from last spring, so yeah, there's just a lot of wounds right here that aren't quite sealed up yet, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, I understand why everyone's kind of upset about that, but that's kind of my take on the two controversial calls that um affected um, either momentum or you know, close sets. You know, anything I don't know, do, how do you, is there anything you left unsaid there that you? You're not going to get fines. So that's the beauty of the podcast. Yeah, like that's true. We can say whatever um, we want.
1: Well, set five. See, looking back at that replay, I thought Bickelmeyer might have been in the net anyway. So.
0: Right. Is that what you, or just with uh, her arm? Which one?
1: Yeah, with her arm. Okay. She, like the ball wasn't down. She landed from like contacting it, and she, I thought she was probably in the net.
0: Okay, so you can see that one being... I feel
1: like it was kind of like a, I don't know,
0: even like
1: I think she might have been in the net anyway, but... Gotcha. I don't know. So
0: that's that's why three is the bigger one because there's less...
1: Three is the bigger one for me. I just think, first of all, that is the hardest, like that's the hardest thing to see. A Mm -hmm. touch off the block is the hardest thing to see in a challenge. And if you take that long to overturn it, And it wasn't called, you know, it's like nobody on the court saw it except for the opposing team. So I don't know. I just think they were looking for it. And obviously, I don't know. The placement of it was confusing, but I I swear it went through her arms and then her arms crossed. So it's like, okay, the ball's gone, you know. I just felt like it was pretty obvious, but obviously like maybe they have a better angle of that. I would just find mm-hmm. it hard to believe that they would just because of where it's out on the court and how hard it just is to see when the balls hit quickly, right. And passes a block quickly. So yep. I don't know.
0: Yeah. The uh, I'm with you on that. The odds of the odds of that being a touch that we can't see is pretty weird and pretty low because they're not looking because of where the ball was hit. Normally, normally yeah. on touch calls, you're looking at the fingertips of the top of the hand, right? Like the four digits. Yeah. This one they were looking for the thumb. That's not a digit that moves very like, you know, casually. Like if it hits the thumb, you usually know, right? There's a lot of meat on the bone yeah. there. It's not a it's not a like a finger that just like sways, right? Like, so it was a weird, it was a weird overturn because you can clearly see like. It hits right through her hands like a field goal, like uprights, right? Yeah. You know, uh-huh. so you're looking for her thumb to move and it just doesn't look like it does because you know. know when a thumb moves. Um, But yeah, that's that's
1: it should have been inconclusive. That's the thing for me. I'm like, how do you possibly have enough to overturn it? There's so many instances where I feel like they should be able to see things and they don't overturn things because it's mm-hmm. inclusive. And it's just I don't know. I'm like at that yeah. point in the game. Like, make the girl actually hit her hand and then give her the point. But if we're gonna just be looking for centimeters, like, yeah, you gotta be better.
0: For sure. And Kirsten Brenthal booth was uh, as the, I guess, future president-to-be of the ABCA. She was very diplomatic in her... She was very (laughs) diplomatic but very stern at the same time, right? Like, in her (laughs) analysis of, you know, mainly set five, mainly the play in set five, but just kind of the uh, situation that the officials were given in terms of review angles and whatnot, and this goes back to something that I think we've talked about on this podcast. And I don't care who they who you are, like if you're a Creighton and you don't have enough angles to get conclusive reviews on plays that determine results, I don't think you should be hosting. Well, like,
1: didn't they say they didn't have like an inline view? Isn't that what she was? Yes.
0: Yes, so how,
1: is. yeah, exactly to your point. How do you possibly get a top four seed and the NCAA tournament and host all the way up until the final four with mm-hmm. not the most up to date video equipment? There has to be some qualification for you to do that, yeah. even f- even to host at all. I think,
0: I am just, per-
1: even everywhere,
0: I am 100% with you. I understand like records, it's performances, it. I get, I money. get, I understand your pit, I understand you're, you're one of the <laughs> best teams in the country. Uh, my, my point of view is you have facilities on your campus at your disposal yes. that would allow you to have the angles you need to be conclusive with all of your reviews should they end up determining sets, matches, whatever. The fact that you put that match in a facility that didn't have that as a top four seed host.
1: yeah, that,
0: Again, you get your home court all the way to the final four. That's just inexcusable to me, and I don't think... You know, I know it's harsh to say you can't host if you don't have the capabilities, but a Pitt does. They just chose to put it there, right? because basketball had to play some garbage buy game in their own, you know, other arena, right? The fancy one. So they chose to put it there. But you know, also I know you're really good, but if you can't have, if you can't have all that you need to have a like high level NCAA tournament that's going to decide people's seasons. Decide people's careers. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: You can't. You can't host like that's just. A, you need to be prepared for that. If you know you're gonna have a good team and you know you're gonna put in a bid to host, you got to have the technology up to date for the year 2023. That's gonna determine things like that. Instead of leaving it up yeah. to just like, did you see that? I didn't see that. I don't know what I saw. Yeah. Like we shouldn't be doing that anymore. You know what I mean? And it's so like that's, that's my not crazy.
1: Thing. That's not a crazy requirement. it's like okay like that just makes common sense like why wouldn't you want to have the best available yeah to help everybody help yourself help the other teams help everybody
0: and I I swear I would feel the same way if this was Creighton if Creighton couldn't host because they don't have you know a camera angle down the line on one side like that's too bad like you gotta you know go do it at CHI where you can have all the angles in the world you know what I mean that's what I'm saying so I I wouldn't care who it is like I, I swear I'd be consistent on that I um, mean, if
1: you make that a rule, I think pretty quickly people are going to be like, "Well, we exactly. want that be to host. Like, let's put exactly. the motivation behind it. Give people yeah. the motivation to do it because otherwise, yeah. they have no incentive."
0: That goes back sense. to being that like, goes back to being children, right? When you're given the incentive based like, on a pattern of behavior, that hey, yeah. you get this if you do the ABC. You'll do ABC if you want D that badly, right?
1: Yes, like so. It's yeah, complicated. I don't know why we can't. I don't know. It's it's so, yeah.
0: Shame on Pitt there. Um, but. Yeah, it is what it is at this point. Um, so back to the kind of the match itself, the performances itself, like, uh, you know, one of the one of our keys to the game, I guess, was Elena Scott, right? Because, uh, you know, she's a stud. It did feel like, and I think we were even texting about this of the match, so I know it felt like, it didn't feel like she was way too involved, right? Like, oh, that's probably um, what maybe ultimately, when you look at the way, I mean, this was, 207 rallies total Louisville won one Oh four Creighton one hundred three. It probably comes down to Elena Scott being a little bit too involved, um, you know, in, in the sets they won that allowed Louisville to just edge them out. Right. Like when you, especially when you look at one and three um, yeah, like, so what do you think she did well that allowed, you know, her to be in the right spots, allowed her to kind of track, you know, Creighton's hitters and be in the right spots and, Handle serve as well as she did that allowed Louisville to be in system with multiple options offensively.
1: Yeah, I think I mean she just takes up a lot of room back there. I mean they give her all of five and kind of into six, right? And I think that's what you do when you have. It her looks room. like a
0: long kind of libero too. She's got. Yeah, she she's like taller.
1: She's not, you know, she's got some length to her, and um, she can just touch a lot of ball. She flies around. She's scrappy. I think. I mean, she's up there with some of the elite liberos in the country, honestly. So. I just thought there needed to be maybe more of an effort not to get balls on her, especially I thought there were some times where it wasn't quite the connection you wanted with an outside and we're just like roll shotting the ball over in the middle of the court and she's right there to scoop it up. And it just becomes a really easy in system pass for her. And then they have all Mm -hmm. their offensive options. I think, if you put a lot more of those balls on your right back, especially when your setter's back there, you at least just get two options offensively. And then she has to set the second ball. So Mm -hmm. at times I just got frustrated with like, why are you like any ball that is going to go towards her? You have to make her move or it needs to be really hard driven, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the only time that she should be getting a ball. That's like, easy. she should never be getting a ball. That's just an easy, like, here you go. Free ball to her. So Right. Uh, that, that was kind of frustrating to watch just because instant in system offense is going to be really hard to defend.
0: Yeah. Especially for Louisville when you have like, I mean, again, Charity Looper was on fire basically from the jump. I think she had like six kills on her first six swings or something like that. Either six or she was six of her first seven or six of her first six. So she was killing Creighton early. You know, Anna De is always going to be a problem. And then Kira Cressy, Kress, Kira like six foot six middle blocker, like she terminated a high clip all night. Um, you know and then they got Reese Robbins going late uh yeah just when you're when you're dealing with a team that has that much firepower and is that good at terminating in system and you know they have a good libero you can't like give them opportunities for her to get them in system right you have to like you said make it tough make her move around make someone else handle the first contact uh you kind of got to go above and beyond to make sure she's as involved as little as possible in getting their offense started. Um, it just felt like she was too involved throughout the match, and that's probably what gave Louisville the edge there was because she plays at a really high level and she was good um, on Thursday. And, yeah, when there's difference between, a, you know, when you're, you know, when you have a two sets and three and four that are decided by two points and one and one where, it just you know, it's kind of nip and tuck, like that makes a difference when those points are, When those points, when they're allowed to be in system that often, it makes it tough, right? Um, Yeah, that's on Elena Scott. She did a great job. I thought uh, I don't really know who my MVP is for Creighton, but like because Kiara Reinhardt had a serious stretch in this match where, like, I feel like she set a tone that Creighton was going to win the blocking game in this one, which I don't think I thought going in based on a louisville's numbers and their size and their experience but kiara Reinhardt was the best blocker on the floor i feel like you know her touches were um consistent emphatic and then when she would get us an ace block like she just fired up the whole team behind her doing what kiara does right so i'm teeing that up for the former middle blocker here um but like kiara was incredible right like maybe you know if Kendra isn't as awesome as she is, like Kiara is probably the MVP of this match for Creighton because he changed the complexion of it with her play at the net. And I mean, they outblocked Louisville 13 to 8 for the match. And they're the only team to outblock Louisville this year. And uh, the last team to outblock them by five or more was Texas in the national championship last year. So, I mean, that's hard to do what Creighton did yesterday from a blocking standpoint. And I feel like Kiara Reinhardt was just reasons one, two, three, and four. What What'd you see from her that, you know, allowed Creighton to settle in and dictate a part of the match that felt like it was going to be pretty big?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, she just did a great job. I think she worked really hard with her feet to close blocks, um, just try to even get her hands over. If it wasn't going to be an ace block, she got good touches. Defense was able to just dig transition that and – get some good offense going and then I mean when she did get those ace blocks she was just fired up I thought she just brought so much energy and was like a real game changer like you said and especially in set two I think you just noticed she was touching just just about every ball you know that was going to come across in net ace block or not she was getting hands on it and making um, those hitters think about where they were going to hit it so she just did a great job and I mean, we've talked about her energy, too, and why I think it was a really good choice, you know, to kind of go towards putting her in that position because she didn't, you know, start off the season in the normal right. role of playing um, regularly. So I just think, I mean, for her, a lot of the intangibles that she provides are huge. And then this game, I thought she did things obviously really well um, on on the net, along the net. I mean, offensively, too, she had some big kills and just contributed, I think, in whatever way she was really asked and played her role to a really high level. Yeah.
0: And then Kendra Waite would have been my, like, if it's one and one A between those two, Kendra Waite's another one. just, she just makes things that make your jaw drop. She had a couple sets with Kiara. I think one was a back set, not, it wasn't a slide. It was just a simple, like right side, you know, she just popped the ball behind her head and gave Kiara a one-on-one. And then the other one was, I mean, it's one of the coolest sets I've seen from a, from a setter this year. But, you know, Louisville is obviously... Honestly, if people want to go back and watch this match, like watch Louisville worry about Kendra. <laughs> it's like she created so many one-on-ones just by like freezing a blocker on her, wondering which direction she's going to go because she had so many crazy athletic batch sets that she's so good at that it froze. It just gave Peyton a bunch of one-on-ones all day. And if you're wondering how Creighton gets to terminate, you know, at above two hundred and get sixty kills against a team that has six six and six four across the net, um, with their blockers. Like it's because Kendra is freezing them. She's like holding them in place, making them delay their reads and giving her hitters one on ones with crazy sets. And the one that was like, I think it was in set, uh, four. She coming down. Um, it's a first ball but it's not quite to the middle of the net. It's kind of to the left side. So, Kara Cressy, six foot six, is kind of reading that that's an easy pop-up to Nora Sis and get four hands in front of her and put it back down, right? So, Kendra comes across and back sets it one-handed, kind of on the move, right back to Kiara Reinhardt, doesn't even like stay in the air very long. Kiara just puts it down in the middle of the floor where nobody's there because Cressy was out of position. Just so high level. I mean, she played an incredible match. And I thought she gave Creighton a really good opportunity to win this thing with her decision-making and the, the ball she was putting up for Kiana Schmidt, Kiara Reinhardt, Nora and Ava and on the left side and, and uh, in back row, like I thought her decision-making was really good. Um, You know, I think she went maybe a little Nora heavy in terms of where she went when Creighton was out of system. But I mean, that's kind of just what happens when you're out of system. You kind of have to just make a quick, easy decision and, give your ace the chance to put it down or get them out of system. But I thought her decision-making other than that was really, really good.
1: Yeah. I thought she did a nice job. And I mean, overall, like you said, a little bit heavy, maybe to Nora, but um, a lot of those came out of the back row as well. Just kind of trying to bail them out when they are out of system. Yeah. Um, I mean the one thing for me too I thought she could have even had more kills there were a few times where she kind of flipped it behind her head and um, Elena Scott was there to just pick up an easy ball and I was like oh like, yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. you know like stop putting it over there I'm like just throw it down hard towards yeah. the right back I'm like because she just reads it and um, that would have been a cool adjustment to see and just see if that even helps open it up a little bit more um, but like you said I mean she makes the blockers worry about her and that's what we thought going into this was maybe going to be a big difference because, like we saw, their setter really wasn't offensive. And um, that was a big difference between sort of the makeup of both teams and blocking assignments and kind of worrying about different people. Um, But, yeah, overall, I mean, she's a stud, obviously. We we know that. And her defense, um, her distribution as a setter, her blocking. I mean, she's in there, obviously, for every aspect of the game, just about. So, it's just cool to see what she does and do everything at a really high level.
0: And then Ava Martin, I thought, you know, when you think about the opponent, you know, you could argue maybe her best match of her career. Like she got to show off the full six rotations and the serving, right? She had a couple of big aces, not just within the flow of anything. It was like timely aces, right? When Creighton needed points. And then she, excuse me, she hit 344 on 32 swings. So she was low error. Um, Defensively, she had an impact with eight digs and a block, like, I think, you know, the work she's put in to be a six rotation, a reliable six rotation option for Creighton where you don't want to take her off the floor. You want to let her serve. You want to give her an option there back to score behind the line. Um, You know, a really outstanding match by Ava. And I think I went, looked uh, looked at it. She's only the second outside to hit, I think, over three... Uh, what did I want to mark it at? 330 maybe on 30 or more swings. Her and Nora did it as a freshman against Ole Miss. And Ava did it here against Louisville and it's with tournament matches. Like, you know, outsides, it's really hard for outsides to hit 340, especially when you're playing a team like Louisville. Um, so, yeah, I think Ava, I think this might have been one of Ava Martin's best matches in terms of her offensive efficiency and, you know, the different ways she scored, uh, the different balls she hit. She was really good at using the block. Um I wonder how you feel about Ava's performance and, and, you know, how it kind of encapsulates her development as a six rotation option this year, when she kind of had to be thrust into that role when Nora sis went down.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, she did an awesome job. And I think the one thing for me, that's really fun to watch is her growth, like serve receiving and serving. Obviously that's something that she didn't do in a huge role, her first year on campus and so just to kind of see her grow into that and become one of Creighton's best you know servicey passers um, and just be a steady force behind the service line as well has been really fun and then obviously we've talked about offensively she's got a really quick arm can put that ball down fast and brings a lot of power as well Um, so she's just such a fun player to watch Um, I mean both Nora and Ava I think are really fun to watch and explosive dynamic but Ava just kind of sometimes goes about things quietly and I mean in this this match I would have liked to see her get set a couple more balls right I think you maybe want to see that a little bit more evenly distributed between her and Nora but mm-hmm. um she does things really well at a really high level and um, her offense is so fun to watch and then she's in there digging balls too and that's kind of been an area of, of growth for her this year and she's continued to get better and better so kind of crazy to think she's only a sophomore and um i know she has got a lot of time you know to even grow more and do things at an even higher level
0: yeah um i guess we're kind of into our player reviews now because i want to go to Sydney <laughs> brysinger next but <laughs> we kind of transition to that without even saying so but we might as well just keep it rolling like sydney brysinger you know is a really interesting player to me because you know it hasn't it hasn't been um it hasn't been without struggle, but I think she, it's impressive that a freshman has able to been able to work her way through it in high-level matches, right? And to put that jersey on and to know that, you know, that that's your spot and um, you're kind of relied on to be an anchor back there, both defensively and you know, offensively, when things are out of system, you have to handle that second ball and, you know, 11 assists for a libero in a match like this, that's so big. And I think it's something that she's been really good at that maybe we haven't talked a lot about this year is just her ability to kind of set up Creighton's out of system offense and allow them to be terminal in system and out of system. Like what do you, what did you see from Sydney Brysinger's development this year and the way she kind of um, kind of emerged as an option offensively for Creighton when they are out of system. And when, you know, when Kendra has to handle the first ball and Sydney has to set the second and how she's able to set hitters up, put balls down the way she has.
1: For sure. And she's done a really good job, you know, ever since she kind of stepped into that role. Um, And I think the thing about it is she hangs them high inside and they have time to be explosive and take really good rips on the ball. I mean, there were several in the Louisville match that I thought, Oh, like that was just maybe one of Nora's best attacks in a while. Right. And a couple string of points. And I just felt like she gave her a lot of time to get her feet there, be explosive and do what she does. And I mean, you've got all of your pin hitters have that capability to hit a little bit of a higher ball and see the block and um, score for you. So she just puts them in really good positions. And sometimes that's a part of, you know, that position that maybe goes a little bit more unnoticed. Obviously Mm -hmm. everyone's sort of looking at digs and service passing and that sort of thing. But the secondary setting is obviously a huge part. And, um, Kendra digs a lot of balls too. So she's got to be ready to put that ball up from a lot of different areas on the court. And that might be one of the the most impressive things of Kendra can lay out for a ball and she has to pass that ball cross court to a hitter and Creighton still continues to get swings. And um, for elite teams, that's what you want to do. You always want to get a swing on the ball. And that's always kind of the struggle of, can we be wildly out of system, but still get a great attack across? And she does a great job of putting them in positions to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. And the thing I love about her, is just her mentality, you know, like she just has a demeanor about her that, you know, it's, she's got that edge to her. Like, I think she's really competitive. And I think that, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm in 10, 11 years of watching volleyball. I'm learning as I go, but I feel like competitiveness is a big component to being a libero because you're going to get you're going to get scored on. You have to be able to be mentally resilient to bounce back from that on the next point, handle the next ball, handle the first contact, um, you know, get your team, you know, kind of reorganized. There's a lot of responsibilities on a libero. And I think for her to do what she did as a freshman in the matches that she played in and how high of a level she played at in those matches, I'm really impressed, but I think it goes to her demeanor and her competitiveness. I think that's a big secret component to it um, that we saw on display this, this season Um, she's just got an edge to her. And I think she's able to kind of manage her way through ups and downs in a way that, you know, I think everyone around her can trust. Right.
1: For sure. I think that position, I mean, there's not really another position of like people are trying to hit balls as hard as possibly, you know, they can and score on you and you've got to kind of lay your whole body out and (laughs) try to get a a touch on it get a good dig on it. And so, yeah, I think there is something to be said for having a mindset like that as a libero and just, you know, not going to let that ball touch the floor no matter what. I'm going to sacrifice my body. That's a lot of times, I mean, liberos are put in those positions. So it definitely is a mindset and competitive drive that kind of fuels you to be aggressive with your feet, be aggressive with your body, not really worrying about like your health and wellness, more just about like, can I get the yeah, ball Just
0: up. Get the ball up, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. I have to think like that. Um, Nora Sis, you know, uh, I think if you know Jaylee Winters is listening to this podcast, her kills all time kills record is probably safe because Nora would need to be uh, super superhuman next season to catch that because of the injury. Um, but if you look at like everything else, like she's having a Jaylee esque career now, three years in with one year left. Like, you know, when you look at kills per set. Uh, Nora has the edge. We look at hitting percentage. Nora has the edge, and then you know their defense from digs per set to blocks per set are all even, and their their serving is even. Like, you know she's now she's got one year left. She's she's had a pretty special career to this point. I think the level she played at to the point where you miss five weeks and you don't make all region, and people are wondering why. You know what I mean? Like that's how high of a level she played at when she got back. Just hit the ground running completely transformed Creighton's offense to a higher level because it gave them six rotations, one, and then three hitters across the net and one in the back row whenever she was on the floor. Um, The fact that people were like, why isn't Nora All-Region when you knew that she missed too many matches to be even being considered, you kind of wondered, would her play oversee that 67% margin, whatever it was, to qualify? Um, How do you, like where are you on her season considering that she had to battle through an injury, had to come back, had to miss five weeks. And the level she played at without really kind of, I know they eased her in that first weekend and just, you know, had her serve and, and defend, but the level she played at basically right out the out the gate after returning from an injury like that, that's pretty impressive, you know, to me to hit the ground running like that after you've missed five weeks where everyone else is still playing and getting better and whatnot. Um, I think it kind of speaks to how special she really is as a volleyball player.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, we've talked about her, obviously, just somebody who you can rely on and does everything at a really high level and is one of those key cogs and glue players for Creighton on the court, off the court um, and just kind of a studying force to just psychologically for them. So You know, she does so many great things, um, you know, skill wise, but I think personality wise and just what she brings to the team as a whole kind of is maybe understated a lot of times, Um, but she's just so fun to watch. And it's funny, I was texting with Jaylee and Lydia Dimkey during the match and. Jaylee's like guys Nora is just so good like you know it's just like I think she's impressive in some of the things you watch her do I mean she hit mm-hmm. that one ball so sharp cross that
0: my god
1: everybody was like what like how did you do that and so it's just fun to kind of watch her grow and I mean she continues to get better and better and yeah the injury I mean that's impressive for her to take a break and have to kind of sit on the sidelines and watch mm-hmm. and then step back in and at least to the viewers it doesn't really look like she missed a beat so you know that's just it's it's really normally
0: normally there's a rust factor right you'd think there's like (laughs) okay you need a couple weeks to kind of get your legs back under you to to get back into shape or whatnot but she just like came right in and just started playing at a really high all-american level all over again
1: yeah so i mean that's just who she is i think and i mean i've heard two interviews of her she's just like i'm having the most fun you know playing volleyball that i've ever had and I think those sorts of things do make you realize like I'm just here to have fun like the stress of it obviously comes with it when you're a great player and you carry a lot of load and things but if your mindset can sort of flip to man I just love volleyball and I'm gonna just play at a really high level and enjoy it and be competitive and um you know just kind of do what I do and what I have the capability to do then that's kind of a cool shift to see and I feel like she played a little bit more free too in the second part of season and just said I'm gonna you know be aggressive and play to my capabilities and I'm not gonna worry so much if I get you know targeted and serve receive oh I shanked a pass like let's just get back to it and um she does those things really well and I think you have to be able to do when you're an elite type of player, just rebound from, you know, points and mistakes and um, continue to play at a high level, you know, most of games, sets, matches.
0: Yeah. Kiana Schmidt, um, this will be, this was her last match in a Creighton uniform, right? Um Well, she finishes her career with 110 wins. Um Best winning percentage of any player that played in hundred match or at least hundred wins. She won 87% of those suckers, which is crazy. Um, Yeah, she's just, you know, she hit 379, which is a school record. Um, Part of a Creighton offense that's going to go down as the best, most efficient offense in Creighton history. They finished at 284, which I regret to inform you is five percentage points higher than your 2017 team, so your record is no longer number one. You're now number two. Yeah. I guess it was a 2016 team, maybe. Yeah, 2016. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you played that position, you know how hard it is, right? And you know how hard it is to stick with it, especially when, you know, she didn't play the first couple of years of her career. So, you know, she really is kind of a late bloomer in terms of her greatness. Um, it wasn't, like, right away, like, a Jaleigh or a, or, or a Nora or a Kendra or a Megan. Um, but, like, what do you think of Kiana Schmidt and, like, how she you know, the trajectory her career had and the way she finished it off playing the best volleyball of her career. Cause I, I mean, I thought she was really good against Louisville as well. Like she had a crazy block one-on-one in the middle of the net, just an insane dive to get a solo stuff. Like she had 12 kills like her and Kendra, I thought were connecting really well. Um, So she went out playing her best for sure, but closes out her career as one of the best middles in, in program history. Statistically.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think just the growth, like you talked about from going to not really having a role on the court and being on the bench and then sort of working your way into it and developing. And um, that's the cool part. I think sometimes of players that come in, don't get a lot of playing time and then you s- just see them develop and year after year, they get better. And then she gets to a point where it's not even a question, right? It's like, she has that position and she's going to be a steady key cog for the offense and defense blocking. So yeah, it's just cool to see her growth, and um she's just a great person, too. I think she approaches things, you know, in a great way in life and school, everything and volleyball, so it's just, she's somebody that's easy to cheer for, and you're happy to see her succeed because, you know, she put a ton of work into it and um yeah. competed with, with people that were ahead of her and, you know, tried to kind of get that starting position, so, yeah, it, it's fun to see, and I'm glad she got an extra year. I'm sure Creighton's really happy you know that she stuck around and was able to play with them this year
0: yeah and i think the other thing that's kind of neat is that you know she ended up being a leader by the end of it you know i don't know if i like if you said when kiana schmidt walks on campus that that's going to be the leader of a 29 and 5 sweet 16 team one year right and set school records but she you know and she did it in a way that's not always what you would attribute to leaders like it wasn't like extremely forceful. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, attitude or swagger there. It was just matter-of-fact. I think there was compassion there that the players around her trusted, and that's why they would consider her one of her leaders because in moments where they probably needed something, she was there with a voice that had a good perspective, coming from a place of, you know, caring, which is really what you want out of teammates in, in general, right? Um, so eventually you just trust that she's the leader of a team in a way that's kind of unique. And I think that was really cool about Keanu's development too, was that she didn't just get better as a player. She didn't just find a way to get a role on the team and make an impact on the court. She found a way to expand that, especially coming back for her extra year. She found a way to really, you know, make her mark on this team on a way that permeates kind of off the court more than on it. You know, the on-the-court stuff, I think we kind of assumed what was going to be good. I mean, you've talked about it a lot on this podcast about how special she is in terms of her arm swing and her foot speed and, you know, how dangerous she is on that slide. Um, and, I, you know, for me, it's like the whole package, you know. It's it's the volleyball part of it, um, how good she became as a middle, um, how dangerous she became as, you know, a high percentage terminating right side like we're – I mean. At some points, like, even when Nora was out especially, you know, you could argue that she might have been the number one option on the scouting report for defenses to worry about. Like, let's try to shut that part of Creighton's offense down right there and and live with the rest, right? Um, But it's the -the off-the-courts development and kind of the way she turned into a leader that they can trust in a way that's not always, I guess, uh, in a way that's with a personality trait that's not always aligned with, like, leadership and, you know. Uh, hard-nosed attitude, right? It was a different type of leadership, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, she's definitely a lead by example type of person. Uh, Like you kind of hinted at, which is maybe a little bit different than somebody that's going to like yell at you to motivate you, you know, if Mm -hmm. you're running sprints in the gym or something in off season or lifting weights and need kind of a kick in the butt or something like that. I don't think she's quite that person, but Like you said, she's going to approach people with compassion, meet them where they are and motivate them because she's going to work really hard. And she's like, I'm taking you with me, you know, that sort of thing of we're going to do this together. And um, those people are invaluable. I think you've got to have people that talk. But then I think I mean, that role of who should I follow, especially for younger players is huge of, okay, she's a great role model, you know, in school, in life, in volleyball. Like I can kind of follow her lead and try to find my place here.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if, like, years later, maybe a decade later, you know, when this team kind of, whenever this team reconnects and thinks back to this this run, that she won't be one of the like. If you ever to ask each of them, like, who was your favorite teammate, if Kiana isn't the most popular answer, you know, just because of the way she is, you know. Yeah. Um, Ellie bickelmeyer also her career has come to an end, you know. And again, this is when you talk about the personality of this team, and we did like the DNA of the way they kind of overcame whatever was in front of them in terms of a challenge. Ellie Bicklemyer is another good example, you know, like struggled early, new team, uh, kind of lost her way in the rotation, um, you know, fought through an injury, got healthy, started making an impact little by little, earned that right side position back. And, you know, I mean, they're in the Sweet 16 Team because she finished off Minnesota with two kills on back to back rallies to end that match, like ended up having a pretty significant impact in terms of Creighton's storybook. You know, uh, that Minnesota chapter kind of, it's honestly, it was, it, it was storybook in a way because I felt like she kind of earned that right side spot back with the Minnesota match way back in September. And the fact that she finished off Minnesota in December to send Creighton to the Sweet 16 was kind of special too. And I think it's just a little neat little kind of bookend on her time at Creighton, the one year she had here in her grad transfer year. Um, But also, you know, but the main thing is like the example of her season is kind of the example of the team in terms of fighting your way through an uncontrollable situation, overcoming it and, you know, having some success that you can celebrate from it, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think I mean we saw her get subbed out too in Louisville, and um, it is a really good example I think for the whole team. I mean, this year I don't I can't think of another year where there's been so many players in and out of positions and people winning spots like midseason and um then getting flip flopped back right. I think it just kind of. It goes back to what she, you know, what Kirsten talked about as far as the depth and having people that you can trust in all positions um, and using people in those positions. And we talked about that too. It's like you can talk about it, but are you gonna kind of put your money where your mouth is and actually yeah. give opportunities? And there were several times this year and even late in the season where people stepped up, brought a spark, brought some energy to t- to the team, and allowed them to go on runs or win sets, win matches. So it was just it was cool to kind of see um for her though the Minnesota match like you said I think that was the best match I think she played in a Creighton uniform as far as impact energy like just scoring points at big times and that for her I'm sure will be maybe you know one of her best memories of playing at Creighton just the atmosphere and performing well I think that's something you can look back on and feel really proud about
0: yeah for sure uh Destiny Adam Simpson let's tackle her next uh you know, it was kind of it was interesting because like we thought she was finally, um, you know, kind of evolving into a multi dimensional offensive option, right? And being able to bounce back from like errors better than she was early in the season. And then the concussion took her out of commission for a little bit, and then you know, Nora that coincided with Nora Sis coming back, and that was kind of at the point. Creighton's kind of. was an inflection point for Creighton's season and we talked about it like look these roles are going to be defined pretty soon and some players who have been playing right now and have been playing really well and have been getting a lot better all of a sudden might find themselves back into a, a you know a role player position how will they handle that and I think Destiny Adam Simpson's energy throughout the season has been pretty consistent from my vantage point and I think that's really cool for a freshman because the sky looks like the limit for her you know when you look about when you look at the performances she's had and you know, just the the way she is as a volleyball player right now, like it looks like she's going to get a lot better, but it also looks like she wants to get a lot better too. Like she just doesn't want to have a spot and keep it forever. Like she kind of understood the makeup of this team. And, you know, when Nora came back, she, I think she kind of understood that the best version of this team right now is probably me in a different role um, as opposed to me getting 30 attempts a night with Ava Martin. Right. So, I'm impressed with her freshman season because of the roles that she had to kind of take on. I mean, she was big in the Nebraska match on a on a last-minute switch when Nora was out. She came in and played really well in, a, in probably the toughest environment she's ever played in her career, maybe the toughest she'll ever play in, honestly. And I don't know. I'm just impressed with her freshman season, even though it's probably not going to jump out statistically as one of the best freshman seasons in Creighton history. I think you see a lot of promise with her in terms of, you know, how she can impact the the program going forward.
1: For sure. I think, I mean, she grew, and we kind of saw that before our eyes match by match of things that she continued to get better at. If it was, you know, maybe not swinging as possibly as hard as possibly you could on every single ball, you're throwing in tips, rolls, you're being a little bit smarter and making that jump from high school. I mean, we've talked about that too. It's, it's hard to sort of adapt your game and figure out a bigger block and better defenders and, yep. Um, just those parts of the game that are different when you get to college. But for her, I think, I mean, just the confidence of, like you said, playing in big-time matches, playing in big-time atmospheres to kind of gain that confidence. And, I mean, next year you don't know, right? You don't know what position you'll be in and what will be asked of you. But all you can do is try to, you know, win a position and get better and develop. And so for her, I think this year gave her a lot of time to develop. And allow her also to play you know in matches and you don't always see that with freshmen coming in and sometimes they're just on the bench all year and obviously you don't hope people get injured but you have to be ready to step up and I think any sort of experience is going to be good for you down the line
0: yeah and she got the kill on match point to give Creighton their uh, 10th straight regular season title so there's a memory for her right there a little thing to build off of you know uh where are we at next That DS position is interesting, right? Ellie Bolton, you know, started the year as the senior libero, earned that spot back, uh, you know, battled through those position battles the last two years after having it as a freshman, won an MVP award, which shocked both of us um, in that Purdue tournament, right? Because liberos usually don't get those kind of accolades. But she played at a really high level, got hurt. Um, Her injury was, you know – severe enough to the point where Sydney Brysinger's comeback kind of uh, allowed her to win that spot. Um, but when you look at, like, the way Ellie played when she was healthy, the way Sydney played down the stretch of the season, the way Sky McCune played down the stretch of the season, you know, if all three of those players come back and Ellie Bolton says, and you know, she announced she's going to return for her senior season, um, or for her extra season, I guess I should say, uh, you know, that position battle is going to be fierce again, next year right like i don't think i I think when you look at the way sky got better as the year went on when you look at how good ellie was when she was healthy and when you look at the way sydney was playing at the end of the year in a funny way i wouldn't be surprised if all three of those players are back in the fall that we're not having the same conversations about how that position battle is going to break out as we had this fall you know what i mean in a weird way
1: yeah I don't know. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. I think um Sky McCune, I mean, I just think she plays that right back position really well. And not every yeah. player plays that really well. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to kind of see. I think that's always a competition, obviously. Usually you've got three, four DSs sort of like a lot of them you don't see during the year, right? And then mm-hmm. in off season they can sort of make a jump and um, grow and then be in position to sort of compete. So yeah, I don't know. The Ellie Bolton definitely um I mean she's gonna come back and be ready to compete, I would think, um, for that position, obviously playing it so well um to start off the season and then getting injured. So that part of it is yeah. gonna be really interesting for me.
0: Yeah, she might have an interesting decision, honestly. Like because you know, the last couple of years when she's lost those position battles, she's lost them to seniors that only had one year eligibility. Yeah. This year seeing a freshman play as well as Cindy Breisinger did. That's a, you know, and knowing you have one year of eligibility left, right? You know, Ellie was really, really, her maturity is really impressive in the way she talked about, I guess, her attitude of, you know, not being afraid to be pissed off and like express that. Like, yeah, I am I wanted that position and I'm mad I didn't get it, but I, you know, I'm not going to sulk and let that affect the team now that the decision's been made. Um, You know, I'm going to play my role to the best of my ability and then when it's time to reset and. Battle for that spot again. I'm going to do it. Um, this one's going to be a little bit more challenging for her mentally, I think. Now, I just, I'm curious to see how she handles it because it's different when you, you know, you're an underclassman and you lose. Like she went in as a sophomore and lost to a fifth year. And then she went in as a junior and lost to a fifth year again. And then this year as a senior, she won it, you know, worked hard, busted her butt, played really well, earned it, and then reinforced it with her play on the court throughout the season. Um, knowing that you might have to battle a a sophomore, and underclassman as an upperclassman is a different type of challenge. So I'm curious to see how she takes that on if she chooses to, Um, because I think she's a special component to the team. When you think about her attitude and her energy, she's another one like Kiara Reinhardt that we've talked about all season. Like her energy is different. Like she's fierce, um, but she's also bubbly and positive. Right. But when you talk about, like, who are the vocal components of a team that will say the first word that needs to be said to get a team back into gear, it's Kiara and Ellie, right? They're the top of the list, you know? So I think she has an important role on this team, and um, so I'm curious to see how she attacks what her next challenge might be in terms of getting that libero spot back.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see too, kind of Brysinger maybe take a step forward just vocally and like leadership wise, you know, obviously being a freshman stepping into that role. I mean, she did a really good job, but obviously I think when you're in that position, you're sort of, you know, you're not really a leader out there, but you are right. You're kind of leading the back row. Um, But just to even take that step farther I think that would then, you know, maybe put some cause for just even a tougher competition between those two if she can sort of take that step forward and be a little bit more of a leader for Creighton out there, um, kind of take charge, maybe even just a little bit more than she already did this season.
0: Yeah, for sure. Other than that, like, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think you know the Ava Nora situation is is a really good one for Creighton because you have two reliable six rotations now, and I'm, you know, it's uh it's a situation where Ava has gotten a lot better. And I think Nora played the best volleyball of her career down the stretch. So when you just look at those two and the way they played and the way they kind of, you know, work together in terms of their versatility of scoring out of the back row, scoring on the left side, being able to be reliable and receive, playing good defense. And then now, as we've seen Ava Martin towards the end of the season, get better and better and better from the service line, like two really, really dangerous scoring options, but also ones that can play really good defense, reliable defense. And to have that as a six, as six rotations when you know you're already not taking Kendra Wade off the floor, I mean, that's pretty – that's a pretty – that's a luxury that Creighton's going to have going into the next season with those three. Um, Just because, like, they're going to be veterans. They're all going to have more answers than questions. And when you're trying to work your way through, you know, college and, you know, manage school and athletics – like being able to not be as like confused about certain things that come easily to veterans, right? Like that's a it's it's hard to express how valuable that is, right? When you just show up every day and knowing what you got to do, getting your work done in a quick, efficient manner, and and you know managing each day as it comes because there are going to be challenges, right, for throughout a season. But you know with, with the way those two those three are playing right now, and especially Nora and Ava with the way they played during, down the stretch. It's uh like I don't know if I don't know if this is the last we've seen of Creighton like with this particular roster. Um, I could easily see them back in this position again, and maybe even putting themselves in in a spot where where they're hosting this second weekend as opposed to going somewhere else. You know.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think you've got a lot of youth, obviously, on this team. Just kind of looking across the board. Obviously, Kiana Schmidt's a really big loss, and then yeah. I think that right side position I mean this year was you know kind of in and out of different players hands so I mean otherwise I think you kind of got it figured out obviously we saw Marie Remes win that other starting mm-hmm. middle spot with Kiana in the beginning of the season and then she got hurt and then you know never won the position back so that was just kind of an interesting thing to see with multiple positions so I mean I think for her too, she's going to be super motivated, super competitive going into this off season and next season of making sure it's not even a question of, am I in the starting lineup? You know, just kind of knowing what little I do sort of about her mindset. So yeah, it just, it's going to be fun to see, but I really do think they have strong contenders almost, you know, at every single position and people that can step up and have that great parity that we talked about that's necessary when you get to, you know, Sweet 16s, Elite 8s, um, just having strong, strong players in every single position. So it's it's exciting to be a Creighton fan for sure and to see a lot of these players come back and continue to get better and better every year.
0: Yeah, and the person we haven't even talked about yet and, you know, didn't really get an opportunity to with Jaya Johnson, but I know the coaching staff is high on her and I've seen, you know, multiple practices where I felt like she was like the most dominant player on the floor. Like her serve is crazy powerful. She's had a couple, uh, you know, a couple radar gun readings that made my jaw drop. So there's, there's a lot of potential there with Jaya Johnson and um, it'll be interesting to see what her red shirt freshman year looks like. You know, I know it was like, it was, you know, she didn't, her red shirt freshman year was different than yours. Yours was by injury. Hers was by just log jam, right? There was a lot of experience at her spots. Like, but I know when your redshirt freshman year came, like it was like, oh yeah, this, this kid's a stud, you know, like, you know what coming in. Uh, I'm curious to see what, like how Jaya Johnson, you know, what role she finds next year. Cause she's not someone I'm ruling out just because she didn't find a spot this year. Like she's got a lot of potential and that, you know, that off season she might be able to take something um, from this season and build on it. So will be curious I'll be interested to see how she develops because I know she has a lot of potential. I know the coaching staff is really high on her. Um so yeah, she's another one to watch for the for, for next year just because of of the the flashes she had, I guess, in moments this year in practice and, and when she had opportunities and scrimmages and whatnot. Um Did we just run through it all? Are we good? I think that's it. If we forgot someone, that's going to suck. I'm, that's going to eat me <laughs> if I think about it later. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, though, I just want to bounce this off of you. Um, it's going to be pretty obvious what I'm doing here, but uh, I'm so I might be asking a rhetorical question in the end, but I think it's worth asking. If I told you that there's a certain player on any team, that is the only player in Division One with 1,000 assists, 300 digs, 100 kills, and 75 blocks. Um, would you and that and that and that player is on a Sweet 16 team that won 29 matches. And of all those setters that were in the Sweet 16, she led them in kills, digs, was second hitting and fourth and blocking, regardless of her assists per set. Like set that aside. Would you say that player is worthy of being a first-team All-American?
1: I mean, I would say so. I mean, but I don't know that much about, I guess, the selection process, but I would have a hard time arguing with that, especially given the caveat that they made it to the Sweet 16. I think if you Mm -hmm. don't make it to that point, it gets a little bit harder. But when you're one of 16 teams left playing in that second weekend, I think you make a pretty good case. And obviously her numbers – give you all the information you need to know about what she does for
0: Creighton. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I feel like she's deserving of it too. I don't know if she's going to get it because the setters that are still left are also kind of in contention. So they're around further than her. But I think when you look at her performances, the way she kind of changed the Minnesota match late, the way she played against Louisville, the numbers she's put up this year, um, the fact that she did it on an elite team, like Creighton was a top 10 team this season. Um, I think they were ninth in the RPI and eighth in KPI going into the into selection Sunday. Um, they made a Sweet Sixteen. They pushed the national runner up, reigning national runner up, to uh to five sets. Um, and then when you just look at like the way she compares to her peers, like Creighton played a top twenty schedule, so you can't use the argument that, you know, she kind of just whipped the Big East and you know she just padded her stats right, like. It's not just a thousand assists, 300 digs, 100 kills, My blocks. Like, that's the, that's the, I'm lowering the bar to help everyone else catch up to her. Like, she's at 1200 assists. She's at almost 400 digs. She's four away from 400. Uh, she was at 130 kills and she had 90 blocks. So I'm like lowering the bar to make that like a minimum range to show people how good she was. She's the only player who did that. And she even far exceeds that. Like, if I set it at 1200, 350, 125 and 90 she would still clear it. And then compare her to everyone else that's you know that still made it to the second weekend. All those setters on Stanford, on Oregon, on Wisconsin, they use a 62 so it's not really fair, but Nebraska, um Washington State, you know, when you think about the best setters in the country right now that are all in contention for that first team all for those first team all American spots, I think there will be two um you know, first in kills per set at one point one four. So it's not just she's first in kills per set among a group of people who don't get kills. Like she's averaging over a kill per set as a setter. Three point four one digs. Those are the barrel numbers. Hitting three sixty six. That's middle blocker stuff. And then 070 as a as as a you know in her blocking. Like she's she's blocking like an outside hitter, getting kills and hitting at like a middle clip. And she has she her digs are in the barrel range. Like, she is just, she might be the best volleyball player in the country. And the fact that she's on Creighton and probably isn't going to get first team All American, I feel like there's an argument that she's the most underrated player in the country if she doesn't get first team All American because her numbers are first team All American level.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think you can argue with the numbers, obviously. And um, I mean, I don't know. There's just not. It, be the it, would, it would be
0: something if Creighton wasn't playing tough teams, what they are, wouldn't it? Like that yeah. would change the dynamic. If Creighton was like playing a top 150 schedule as opposed to a top 20 schedule, it'd be a different argument because then your stats are a little bit, you know, it's not quite apples to apples when you compare it to a setter at Stanford or a setter at Tennessee or a setter at Nebraska, right? But th- in this case, Creighton has played a tough schedule. They've played in tough environments. They've played on the road a lot. And the fact that she performed like that, that changes the equation a little bit. She's not just a, you know, a small time she's not just a, a small school setter that's exceeding um her competition like she's playing at she's playing high, high level competition time in time out right
1: yeah for sure i mean i think yeah you look at the rpi the kpi like you said shrink of schedule all of that kind of stuff and it would be a hard argument the other way of she's definitely deserving i mean of one of those teams will it be first team i mean it's it's hard to say obviously because yeah. um, I do think, I mean, how far you go in the tournament carries some weight. Obviously, sure. just based upon historical, like, honorees of those sorts of things. Um, yep. But, yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to see for sure kind of what comes out. I think those are kind of interesting of where people land and comparing numbers. Um, Hopefully, they'll get it right. And, I mean, it should be based upon numbers. It should be based upon how well your team does, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, I don't think you can argue just looking – number number wise especially in all the categories i think that's the big thing it's right like, i mean that's Dick, part that's that, me, you know? i mean that's just it's huge i mean she's huge for them defensively and then running the offense as well um so she's just on every part of the game i think that's the thing yes. for her it's like you just kind of feel her her emphasis on every single part of the game and creating doing things really well on both sides of the ball yeah
0: 100 percent um so you played for Kirsten, so I'm curious to get your take on this. Um, I don't I don't know if she's going to win. I don't even know who the candidates are for national coach of the year. I haven't dug too much into it, honestly. So I'm not necessarily going to tee up that topic. I'm more curious if you think this was her best coaching job of her career, at least in the time frame that you've followed her as a recruit, followed her program, played for her, and now seeing her now as a former player. When you look at 29-5, Sweet 16, uh, big east regular season champions big east conference tournament champions with 17 straight matches win streak to end the season with 16 sweeps and one four setter um considering all the injuries they had to deal with and all the you know the roles they had to manage in season not just in the fall after camp making decisions it was ever evolving and fluid throughout the year um considering the success and considering the off-the-court Um, adversity they had to deal with with the injuries How, how do you feel like where do you think this ranks in terms of the best coaching job she's had in her career at least since you know she came on your radar as a recruit
1: yeah it's been several years now thinking back um man I don't know I think this year was special just because like you said a lot of the events that happened with injuries and people playing different positions and people winning different positions and people not kind of getting that lineup start again so for me I think she talked about this year especially of making sure they're prepared you know if people go down late in season which they got burned by obviously in NCAA tournaments before so I think she she stayed true to that sentiment of we're going to develop everybody and we are going to make the best possible team at the end of the year and we're going to try to peak at the right time, but we're we're going to use all of our people and, um you know, use whatever competitive advantage we have. So for me, it was just impressive to see all of the players in and out of the lineup and the trust of, you know, trusting different players that either had a lot of experience or didn't have that much experience. So I just thought the development of the group as a whole was really fun to watch. So for me, it's definitely up there. I don't know if I'd like rank it right, like put it somewhere specifically, but I just thought she did a great job and she's definitely deserving of some sort of honor. um, I think just of where she took this team, you know, at the beginning of the season to the end of the season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's, it's up there. If it's not there, I I obviously didn't see how this program was like built. um, So I don't know what those struggles were like. I imagine they were pretty daunting. Honestly, I wonder when she is going to get to the point where it blows her mind to see how, to see where this program is at. And if she ever just kind of just remembers the starting point Um, because she's not someone who kind of like, she's not really at a point in her coaching journey, I think where she does a whole lot of reflecting. She's always kind of like tackling the next challenge. That's kind of the way she approaches things, um, which I guess gives you kind of a look into her mindset that she's not really as much as, as good as Creighton has been as, as successful as they've been and, you know, you can argue they've built the best non-football program in the country, uh, one that doesn't have football funding, just pumping money into them to allow them to, you know, build up this thing pretty fast. Like, it takes a lot of hard work to sustain it. It took a lot of hard work to build it, you know, but it kind of gives you a peek into her mindset that she's, like, as good as they've been, she's not really satisfied yet. Like, she wants – there's other things that she wants to accomplish. There's other barriers that she wants to knock uh, to knock down. Um, but just, like, in terms of – for the for the for the version of her program that I've known this is this is going to be a hard season to ever just put back in the rearview mirror because with the injuries she they dealt with she admitted that like getting out of her comfort zone is not just relying on that starting rotation that she sets in the fall and letting it ride as far as it can go right like that's the depth development and you know putting players in different spots and giving players, you know, chances to earn spots throughout the season. Isn't something that she's always wanted to do. She kind of wants that lineup to be set on day one. And she wants that lineup to kind of get better and better and better as the season goes along this year, forced her hand into a different, into a different way of doing things. And, you know, instead of just, I don't know, maybe get internal and like, uh, caving into the adversity, I guess, she kind of just like met it head on a little bit and said, okay, well, you know, we're just going to make the most of this by giving players opportunities to earn spots and, you know, help us figure our way out of things. And and then also some tough decisions had to be made when when everybody got healthy. Like the, when the whole roster was finally in one piece, um, they kind of had to reset and figure out what the best rotation was going forward and how they were going to play matches and how they were going to, you know, put themselves in the best position to win going forward to the end of the season. And then when you just look at the role they went on, I don't know. This was this this is gonna be a hard one to ever be like, yeah. Um, it was just the third sweet sixteen. Like this is a special season because of the what they had to overcome. It was just so much more than just throwing talented players on the floor and letting them outplay the opponent, right? It was more than just kind of figuring out a scouting report and setting it in place for a team to execute. You know, it had so much more to do with the intangibles of like what their program is about every single day, the process of how they go about preparing, how they go about improving player by player, um, how they go about attacking opponents, how they go about attacking certain um, bits of adversity. And I just think it's one of her best coaching jobs. It, certainly in the the stretch of years where they, you know, had that expectation that every time they go on the floor, they're expecting to win, not just trying to win. Um, so, yeah, really impressive coaching job by Kirsten, Angie, Bryan all those all those guys adam um yeah great season hard going to be a hard season to forget like i said because it, you know they pushed a really really good team to five sets in the sweet 16 um they got out of their home regional uh you know you, you could argue there's multiple all-americans on that floor whether they get the honor or not um and yeah i don't really know how to wrap that up but crazy year <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just, ram-
0: I just ramble sometimes.
1: Yeah, I feel like you have to. I don't know. The thing for me, too, I think just back to kind of her coaching job is managing everybody being bought in. And I think that's a really yeah. impressive thing. I think she talked about, you know, having just great people. And re- I mean, she re- tries to recruit obviously great young women and that will contribute on the floor, off the floor to culture. But Just for her to be able to, you know, have obviously those tough conversations with a lot of people that were in starting positions and got injured or something and somebody's playing over them and just kind of managing that and just creating one cohesive unit of people that are going to cheer each other on. I think, I mean, that part of it is super impressive as well. Um, And there's just so much work, I feel like, that goes on behind the scenes of having really tough conversations of, you know, with players and managing expectations and things that... You know maybe doesn't get seen as much. But um yeah, it just seemed like at all times I think everybody's ready, you know, to step up if they need need to, if Pearson wants them to, they'll play whatever position they want to put them in. So yeah, for me it just a very selfless team. And it was just really fun to watch their progression, obviously over several months. And then for them to break through and get to that sweet 16 um was huge. And I think it's better to have those things in recent memory right up rather than like seven years ago we made it so I think that that keeps the motivation of we can do it again and you show players that we can get here and we can work really hard and make it
0: did seven years feel like a long time it didn't it didn't I felt like I can still remember it kind of vividly but I wonder if it's like if it did get too distant into the into the past where you like you started to wonder if it was if it was yeah I
1: just think I just think you get so close um you know, and for people like, it's just like, obviously I played with a lot of people over my time that never had the opportunity. right? And so I think for like me stepping back obviously like I didn't think about it like that. Cause I had the opportunity to go to the sweet 16, go to the elite eight. And I was part of those teams, but there's a lot of great players that came after those runs and it's crazy to think that they were never in that position. So I think from that standpoint, it just makes you think people that were there four or five years, they miss you know, a period of we made the speed 16 and we were able to do that. And um, for them, obviously they're, they're like jealous. They're like, I want to do that. And so that's always the goal. I think you see a team before you go somewhere and you want to go there. We've talked about, you want to go there, you want to go farther and you just want to build and build. And when you don't get there and you try and try for four or five years and put everything you have into it. um, Looking back, obviously you're proud of what you did, but you just wish you could have taken one step farther.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well said, Megan. That'll do it for our last Creighton Volleyball wrap-up of the season. So we appreciate you guys all tuning in and following along with us as we try to kind of chronicle the Jays, um, another Jays season. Uh, so, yeah, that's really all we got to say. I've said all I need to say. Do you got anything else on your chest still? You better get it out now. I don't
1: at- think so. Yeah, I think I'm good on this year. Yeah.
0: Oh, one more thing! No more eight matches in a day of the sweet season. Like, stop that crap! Good God! That last oh, night, oh yeah. my
1: gosh, yeah,
0: that was agonizing. Trying to stay up for Stanford Arizona State. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I like I actually,
1: I I checked it in the morning. <laughs> I was like, well, Stanford won. Great. You didn't
0: even give it a chance. You're just like, no. <laughs> no this is like, I gotta place. go to bed. I don't know. I'm That's done. Okay. I'm done. Yeah. I think it was like second set Stanford Arizona State, and I was like, literally, like, what am I doing with my life right now? It's two a.m. I'm yeah.
1: watching volleyball.
0: Like, like stop that. Like, it's, like, just four game, four matches a day. That's it. It's very simple. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to just jam-pack it. No. So, how many matches did everybody watch yesterday? Probably three. Because no exactly. one was – everyone was at work during the morning ones, afternoon ones. And then everyone was asleep for, like, Texas, Tennessee, end of Oregon, Purdue, definitely Stanford, Arizona State. So, what they see? Two, three matches at most during primetime hours?
1: I think I watched just two or three, yeah
0: yeah ridiculous Explore dumb decision stop it ncaa get a clue please for god's sake number one make people host in arenas that have camera angles number two split up the sweet 16 into four matches a day for god's sake please please it all
1: seems like common sense but evidently it's not so
0: i mean like i just can't believe that that's what we got put into this year but yeah little by little we'll get there thanks for tuning in everybody we appreciate you um Sorry that the season's over and we don't get to do another pod next week, but that's kind of the way it rolls sometimes. But we we appreciate you guys following along and listening to our takes. And I know you're more here for Megan's intelligence than mine, my just rambling, but we make it work. So for Megan Epperson, I'm Matt DeMarina, signing off for the last time this season. See you next fall. This has been your Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast.